Good morning. This is Bakes, Kevin Baker. Welcome to the Bakes Takes podcast. Uh, this is for the week ending Sunday, September 12th. Uh, the year is flying by, Mike. It's unbelievable. It is. Um, number one, Elvis Costello for president? Question mark. Number two, uncertainty is permanent? Exclamation point. And is uranium green? Question mark. Uh, go to all of those over the course of, uh, of the next half hour or so. And a personal note, I was driving home, frankly, a little bit miserable the other night, which doesn't happen too often. And uh, Mike had just polished my show, which it needs. And uh, uh, thank you, by the way. You're welcome. And uh, I'm driving around midnight, and I'm listening to the show, and my spirits brightened. Uh, I'm pretty proud of our damn good show. And uh, uh, I speak to my sons, for those who are showing up new, Bobby and Jack, they've been on the show, and uh, I invite you to eavesdrop. I'm literally uh, answering their questions and giving them advice and insight, I hope, and I'm welcoming you to, to join in, and I really appreciate your attention and your participation and your feedback. And so... Uh, my first uh, bake's take is is you know my slash our portfolio, and um, uh, another I seem I come across one of these a week. This is I believe University of South Dakota reveals a new esports arena, and I was also Mike. We were talking offline before. Uh, I was listening to Gary Vaynerchuk's uh, podcast, and he talks about why he's so bullish on esports. His uh, uh, Vayner sports organization uh, uh, recently signed Booga, B-U-G-H-A. I don't know this this fellow. Uh, Kyle, I think is his first name. I'm forgetting his last name. And he apparently is a, uh, uh, a gamer who can very deftly go into other, uh, from Call of Duty to other different games and, and, and beat people at their own game. And I just, I'm becoming convinced this is a real uh, uh, trend. Gary is certainly convinced of that. He is an investor in the Minnesota Rockers with the, the family that owns the Vikings. That's a Call of Duty league. And this is just showing up more and more and more and more. And um, now it looks like we have football. So the lack of football hasn't, hasn't been the driver that I, that I thought it might be. But uh, uh, esports is is a, a big trend, and we're participating in that in in Hero H E R O the ETF. Um, this also seems to be something that I see every week. Uh, I put up a, a, a headline here: Why Microsoft, IKEA, and other companies are going carbon negative. Uh, they're pledges left and right, and that's what they are. They're pledges, and they're also politically correct and sometimes self-serving, but I, I, that's me being too cynical, perhaps. More companies are, are, are showing up daily talking about reducing or even turning around their carbon footprint and their use of, of fossil fuels, and they're using dates like 2030 and 2040 and what have you, and so there's a lot to do. But I can't see how this is not positive for nuclear energy and thus uranium. And uh, I think that's part of the solution. And am I right? You tell me what you see out there. But I, uh, it came across so many things that I read and listened to this week that I wanted to, to point it out. Uh, another, my next bake's take, fan mail. Uh, Charlie S., a uh, friend of Jack's, lives in New York City. Uh, great guy, very thoughtful uh, young man, in my opinion. Um, 
you know, thanks again for the great show. I had a few questions for the next episode. And, uh, you know, these are not softballs. Uh, <laughs> what will happen to equities if a vaccine is harder to get than we think? Uh, will this happen post-election without election certain uncertainty and political gridlock? Will Congress and the Fed start another massive round of stimulus and QE that buoy assets like they did in late March and early April? Have you read anything about the logistics of the vaccine if and when it comes out, God willing? I, I recommend that I, I concur with that sentiment. For example, we get a vaccine. Well, one company that creates it, uh, uh, guard the patent, become the sole producer, or will it be shared with large pharma companies globally? Uh, if, uh, uh, if what happens if the latter, then we assume the entire sector will see a massive increase in top line growth because every country will be buying it. Thanks a lot. Charlie, thank you a lot. Uh, here's my take. Uh, I think that can, and I always go through the prism of and the filter of how do we make money? How what what is what what impacts the stock market, and uh, and particular themes? I think a, a vaccine approval by end of year is consensus. I think that's assumed. I could be wrong about that, but that's what it feels like when I listen to CNBC, read everything that I read, listen to everything I listen to. Uh, therefore, I think that trial failures and delays are negatives that aren't priced in. That's what I think is going on right now. Uh, I'm also uh, discovering uh, much more reluctance to take the vaccine, given what we know now. Uh, Bill Gates, uh, over the last couple of days, is publicly questioning. And this is a fellow who has invested $350 million of his own money for, for uh, COVID research, and he's questioning the FDA's credibility given the political pressure that's come on them to take shortcuts and, and run uh, trials in parallel to get to an approval. So even if a vaccine is approved, I don't think it is a light switch in terms of adoption, and I don't think it's a light switch in terms of igniting economic activity. Uh, and I think that may be a little bit out of consensus. That's my my view right there. Um, the I think uh, an approval before the election that that has credibility is unlikely. I think it will be viewed as a uh, uh, you know Trump forcing some good news out there to to bolster his election chances. Uh, I think the from the election to the inauguration will be a fiasco. We'll talk about this later on in the show, but I can't come up with a scenario where this isn't uh, an absolute fiasco. So I think Congress agreeing on much of anything is slim. Uh, we, we see this with the stimulus uh, 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 talks right now. And uh, as far as uh, the... Uh, you know, additional uh, QE and what have you, interest rates is zero, so the Fed can't take them to, they say they won't take them to negative rates, and I believe them. And uh, I think that the, the examples of Japan and Germany show that it hasn't been all that helpful. And then also, so the Fed can buy bonds, and uh, that's about what they can do. And they could do that, I suppose, uh, but they've already got $7 billion, seven, sorry, 
I get my 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 consonants mixed up. Seven trillion dollars on the balance sheet right now. That's gone up from four in the course of a year. And could it go up more? Yes, they could do that. But then I go to this next, uh, and I, this is just me being simplistic. I'm looking at the chart of the S and P 500, the 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 overall stock market. Why do you need to stimulate this market? It's back up. Uh, you know, we haven't made a heck of a lot of money this year, but it's up. And the economy is getting better with talks of, of, of 2021 getting better. So why are we going to increase the, 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 the federal debt and deficit uh, meaningfully to stimulate the economy? Now, I have my own views on that where... Uh, the the liquidity is going into stocks and not in the real economy and i'm seeing uh uh small businesses and especially restaurants just getting crushed closing by the day so there's a there's a haves and haves nots aspect that goes into this that uh we'll see how that that plays out i don't know the vaccine logistics and i i uh, uh i really worked my my assistant google hard last night um, you know, just for example, if, if, uh, a company gets warp speed money from the U S government, do they, are they obligated to share the, the, the IP, the intellectual property that would make sense given the billions of dollars that they've been granted. I don't know that. Uh, I think a massive increase in the top line growth of, of, of the industry, uh, is unlikely specific companies, perhaps, but I think expectations are elevated. Pricing will be politicized. So if you're viewed as gouging the 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 market and patients uh, on COVID nineteen, especially if you've been given uh, federal money, I think that's going to be really tough to get a big premium. Uh, I, I, you know, I think that they they mainly talked about covering their costs in terms of. Uh, you know, what they feel is their moral obligation uh, as they produce vaccines. And I think uh, patient reluctance is going to be slow to erode given all the questions are out there. We talked last week uh, about uh, Umar Rafat, uh, an analyst on the on the cell side, and he polled people and he said that 70% of the people he talked to won't take it for six months to a year. Now, all this can change. But that's what we know right now, and I hope I've been helpful to your very thoughtful and, frankly, complex question. Um, this is a, a chart of uh, the IBB, the NASDAQ Biotech Index, and uh, the, the stocks have come down a little bit, but there are expectations for vaccines. And I think that buying the rumor and selling the news is very possible, given everything I've just said, and looking at this chart. I think a pop will probably happen that first day or two, but I think that uh, uh, dramatic top-line growth for all for the biopharma sector is is unlikely. Uh, I'd always like to have uh, ideas, services you'd like me to include with what I do here, so, so please send those. Next segment is Bakes Take Podcast of the Week. This is really good stuff. Uh, this is Josh Brown. It's his, his compound uh, podcast, compound show podcast. He's the CEO of Ritholtz Wealth Management uh, on CNBC, it seems like constantly. 
And the the one thing that I uh, I liked everything about his podcast this past week, but he said uncertainty is permanent. You know, we we're talking about rising uncertainty. No, there's nothing certain in this world. And as soon as you feel you're certain, you probably should be taking your stock positions down because you're overconfident about what you think you know has to happen in the market. And so I love this quote from Josh, and I've used variation to that in the past, but I thought it was really germane given what we're talking about right now. Uh, the title of this podcast was Why Markets Crashed in the Fall. And uh, obviously a provocative title, so it caught my attention. And uh, it went through the history. The panic of 2007 uh, happened September, October of that year. Uh, uh, J.P. Morgan, the J.P. Morgan back then, uh, got he and, and his banking friends together and, in essence, became the Fed of, of 07 and, and uh, uh, bolstered the stock market. 1929, uh, September, October, uh, stocks fell massively. Uh, Roger Babson, the namesake of Babson College in Wellesley, Mass., uh, was a perma bear and for years and it kept saying the same thing over and over again but apparently it, it, it caught uh, receptive ears on Black Thursday I believe it was October 24th of that year and uh, uh, stocks got hit stocks uh, the bankers again came out and bought very visibly and vocally then Black Monday came uh, and the closed-end funds of that time that were leveraged just sold like crazy. Uh, that's why mutual funds without leverage are now the main structure right now. Uh, and Black Tuesday was an absolute wipeout. They did 16 million shares, which sounds quaint, uh, but it was huge at that time. So in that period of time, from uh, September to October, the Dow went from 305 to 230, down 25%. Cut to 1987, September, October, down 22% in a day, October 19th. A lot of fun at that, that, that time. Uh, Lehman went bankrupt in the same time period of 08. And then uh, just recently in 2018, the Fed raised rates, I think a quarter of a point, maybe a half a point, but talked about doing more. And the market couldn't handle it. And it was down 20% by Christmas Eve. So this is a, a, uh, a time historically where bad things have happened in, in, in the market. He also talks about uh, in, in the old days, you know, it was, it was, we were an agrarian economy. Four-fifths of the economy was, was, was based on, on feeding people. And, uh, you know, physical cash was, were put on train and wagons, in his term, Wells Fargo shit, to New York and Chicago to go into the market with Pinkerton's guards at, at, the, at the ready. Uh, and then the money had to be called back from New York to, to uh, deal with the harvest and the crops and what have you. Uh, the gold bars and coins would physically go to Nebraska. So you, you have that aspect uh, that, that is going on historically that uh, obviously is gone now, but plays into the fact that uh, th this historical... Uh, uh, the, the history is there, and, and anybody who's gone through any of those periods say, uh, September, October, have your head on a swivel, and I sure as heck do. I hope that's helpful. I really recommend Josh, everything he posts, The Compound Show, and uh, uh, check that one out. 
this is from the Farcast. Michael Farr, he's a Washington, uh, D.C. wealth manager. Not a firebrand. I mean, very conservative, not, not politically conservative, but a, a uh, he speaks very matter-of-factly and measured uh, virtually all the time. But then talking with, with some of his guests, he put out a uh, something that that I hadn't really thought of before. If Biden wins, the market's going to hate the increased taxes and regulation that he's talked about publicly. It's in his, it's in his platform and in his ads. If Trump wins, uh, riots in the street. Uh, will people be so outraged? You know, will you have... Uh, uh, you know, people taking to to the street. They think they have to have four more years of this fellow that they hate. Now, I don't really care about the politics. I, I really don't. But I care about the stock market. And I kind of say that's a lose-lose situation. You've got two uh, things that come up uh, November 3rd, which is 48, 49 days away, whatever it is. And I can't come up with a positive in that situation. Now, my other take is... Uh, both are going to contest this. Uh, uh, you have mail ballots. Apparently, it varies dramatically by state how that works out logistically and the timing. And so I think it isn't the election that's the flashpoint. It's the inauguration is the flashpoint. And so we have a, 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 a lot of craziness that can happen between now and January 20th. I think is the day, not November 3rd. So uh, I'm going to bring it back to Elvis Costello. Uh, you know, unless peace, love, and understanding uh, breaks out, I think it's very unlikely that we don't have uh, a lot of volatility between now and then. I thought, I, Frankly, I thought we'd have more by now. This is a chart of the VIX that I put up here, actually the VIXY, the ETF, and uh, we're on this 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 support at 20. I don't see it getting much lower than that. And I think the spike from now to the inauguration is very, very likely. And the peak here is at uh, 70 plus. So uh, we got a ways to go. If we retrace any of this, I think we're going to make some money. My next take is reporters of the week. And this is from uh, the, the Wall Street Journal, David Gothier Villers and Caitlin Ostroff. And um, uh, Turks are piling into gold, long their favorite investment, as the country's financial system unravels. And uh, there's a quote from the general manager of Ozak Precious Metals. I've been at the bazaar for 20 years and I've never experienced that. Gold prices are at record highs. People normally sell their gold. This time, they kept buying more. The average daily volume of gold sold to the bazaar shot up to 4,500 pounds from about 450 pounds, uh, I guess, last year. I didn't have the time frame mentioned in the article. Uh, domestic gold production isn't cutting it. So from January to August, Turkey imported $15 billion of gold, up 153% from a year earlier, according to the Turkish Trade Ministry. Uh, demand so strong this summer uh, that the National Mint, which makes gold coins favored by older generations, uh, asked employees to work overtime on weekends, even during the Ramadan holiday, to fill orders. In the long run, uh, Turkish people's bet on gold has been a good investment. Uh, according to Turkey's uh, Statistical Institute, 
The metal yielded the best returns in the past 10 years over the dollar, real estate, bonds, and stocks. And uh, I thought this was fascinating. In Istanbul, Mustafa Tukoglu, maker and distributor of safe boxes, said he recorded a 50% jump in demand at his Istanbul, Istanbul shop this summer uh, for families looking for a solution to store their gold. Uh, clients go, this is a quote, clients go for small but high-end models that cost from 400 to 650 uh, and weigh 700 pounds. They keep, this is what, what caught my attention, they keep half their savings at the bank and half at home. That's what I'm doing too. Now, uh, the U.S. Uh, dollar is in a bunch better shape than the Turkish lira. But here's my take. Uh, what other countries will, will follow Turkey and what are you seeing in your neck of the woods, as Al Roker would say? Because if more Turkish, if more countries go the route of Turkey and this demand for physical gold continues, we're going to see 1,900 plus turn into 2,900 plus, I think, um, in a reasonable time frame. So this is really happening on the ground. This isn't just uh, wild speculation. This is people voting uh, with their lira in this case. Um, this is, uh, uh, from Bill Spindle and Rajesh Roy, uh, in the wall street journal as well. China and India agreed to disengage troops along the disputed uh, border. And Mike, we talked about this a little while ago, back in May, the first deaths occurred in this skirmish. It's a border that is disputed between, uh, uh, India and China, two nuclear powers, by the way, uh, and shots were fired again just recently. And um, uh, it's one of these things that is in the uh, back of the papers for now, and I don't think people are focused on it. But if this t- if this escalates, then it, sh- it starts showing up on page one, two, or three of the journal, and uh, I-, I think it, it is a uh, an outlier event that could could have negative implications for stocks and bonds, in my opinion. So, uh, this is from Jack Howe from Barron's. Uh, again, I think the funniest uh, 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 financial writer that's out there. That might be a, sh- a small subset, and the competition might not be that rough. But I, I like him, and uh, uh, I listen to what he has to say. This is from his, his podcast, actually. No, this is from the article. This, is, this was uh, uh, the physical paper. Uh, and talking about Nikola, founder, predicts fund ride for stock, and he says to be careful. I agree with him. Uh, revenues round to zero. Nicholas is expected to start production for a couple of years. The bull case on Nikola is that it's a Tesla in the making, valued at a recent $14 billion to Tesla's $340 billion. The bear case is that, well, Tesla's had cars on the road for more than a decade and customers like them. You, you see where I like them. Um, so uh, Nikola's entirely on the come. And, and here's what uh, uh, brought this back to me. Two short sellers, Hindenburg and I believe Muddy Waters, I believe those are the two, might be a different one, don't hold me to the, to the second one, put out uh, uh, short reports on Nikola. And as soon as this happens, I have this, this fight or flight uh, uh, instinct that comes up. I remember vividly 
uh, off Wall Street, came up with a report with Hanover Compressor, a stock I owned at the time uh, in the, the oil and gas services space, and they were relentless. They're, they're, frankly, they, they were right. Their work was very, very good. The, uh, uh, they're very adroit at timing. Uh, more of the Hindenburgs and the Muddy Waters than, than off Wall Street. But once the, the shorts get a bear story uh, in their sights, they're very good at timing. So they, Nicola put out the GM report. Right after that, here comes the short report. Uh, they, they center around times when um, the, there's the most impact of their calls will be felt, and they always have more bullets. And so you've seen this, this um, uh, film of the, uh, the Nikola truck, the Badger, going down the road, and apparently it's being pushed from behind. It's not being, being uh, propelled on its own power by its, by its hydrogen engine. Uh, so uh, my point being is that if the shorts come out, you're going to be spending a lot of time and you're probably going to lose, and I would just fight other battles and get the heck out of the way. Here's my corollary. Uh, every CFO loves their family when they're employed. Uh, they, 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 there's, there's, uh, there's no need to spend more time with them. The reason I say that is every time a CFO leaves, they say he wanted to spend more time with his family, and it doesn't matter. The stocks go down, very few exceptions, and again, fight other battles. Uh, this is from Ben Levison, who also writes in Barron's The Stock Market Bubble and How to Play It. I think there's a few too many people talking about the bubble like it's already here and talking about 99 and 2000 too much. But then I look at this chart, and here are the, the, um, the valuations of Tesla, Zoom, Peloton, Etsy, Fastly. Uh, the PEs are just nuts. And there's no other way to say it. Uh, I don't see how these companies can grow into these, um, with the possible exception of Tesla. But uh, uh, you know, eight times sales, thirty-five times sales, twenty-one times sales. It's really tough to have a uh, uh, your business be be growing enough over the next decade to get into these valuations. So enjoy it. Use my cell discipline that, that I've talked about in the past. I recommend that highly. Uh, the problem with that is that these stocks are so far over those moving averages, you can lose a lot of money until you get to there. But uh, these are great companies, great products, but I think that it's, it's, it's very difficult to justify valuations. Uh, next take is charts of the week, uh, tweets of the week. And this is from the Bear Traps report, and this is uh, a satellite image of what I mentioned before, China and India. Uh, these are camps and troops and Humvees, uh, et cetera, uh, being set up against each other on the, the, the disputed border. And um, India right now, the economy is a mess. It's apparently the, uh, the COVID hotspot that people are watching. And there's, always, there's never a good time for wars, but this is the worst time. And uh, this is, this is um, uh, something, that, again, 
if it if it goes from page 17 to page one, I think it's going to put more risk into the market than people think at this point in time. So uh, that's the show. Please uh, subscribe to my Bakes Takes YouTube channel. The audio is the same, but the charts that I reference are on the screen. Follow us on Twitter at Bakes Takes underscore and other social media. Please use your voice memo app. Tape your questions, email to me at bakes at bakestakespodcast.com or write if you prefer. I'll keep you anonymous if you'd like. Thank you for listening. Mike Wilson is my producer. Thank you as always. Have a great week. This is Bakes. And for much needed levity, uh, Ron White was on the Joe Rogan uh, experience the other day. And obviously stand-up comedians are sidelined, to put it mildly, by what's going on with COVID. And he says he might be done and uh, for good. And uh, Joe's telling him not to, but uh, uh, it made me a little bit sad. I think he's a very talented guy. And so I include in here, I click on the link. Uh, I got thrown out of a bar. I think it's one of his best bits. And I hope it uh, puts a smile on your face. And I will see you next week. Take care. Bye now. (laughs) 